Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to TLS Voices. My name's Toby Lustig, and for this special edition of the podcast, I'm joined in the studio by Ema McBride, whose new novel, The Lesser Bohemians, is out with Faber next month. But for those who can't wait until then, the good news is that the TLS is running an exclusive extract of Ema's urgent, sexy, moving novel in the current issue. So hello, Ema. Hello, Toby. And I just wondered if you could start off by telling our listeners what The Lesser Bohemians is about. Uh, Well, uh, it's about a relationship, I suppose. It's a love story. It's set in London in the mid-90s and... um, it's about a relationship that develops between an 18-year-old drama student who's just arrived from Ireland and, and a 38-year-old English actor. OK. And um, it sort of takes place over the course of a year, doesn't it? Was that, was that important to you in terms of the kind of the way the narrative evolves to kind of structure it in, in that way? Yeah, I think I've always been interested in, in keeping time, very particularly with the girl as a half-form thing. It was 20 years and I knew that I wanted to the story to fulfil itself in that time. And so for this, I wanted to see what could happen over the course of one year. And very specifically that year as well. It's the first year that she's left home. And so there was a chance to explore all of those ideas as well. So a particularly formative time for your protagonist. Absolutely. And you mentioned your debut novel, A Girl is a half form Thing. People are obviously going to find parallels between that novel and the new one in terms of language, in terms of theme. There's, there's, a, there's a running theme of sexual abuse going on, uh, a vulnerable girl at the heart of it. I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about the extent to which the new one is a kind of continuation of the first novel. Um, Well, I think when I first started out on The Lesser Bohemians, I felt that it was completely separate. But over time, I realised that actually the two books were were two sides of the same coin and that they shared a lot of thematic interest. And also linguistically, The Lesser Bohemians certainly starts off at a similar point to A Girl as a Half-Form Thing, although I think the language then evolves and changes as it progresses through the novel. But I do think they are also looking at those themes in in quite different ways and certainly the lesser bohemians is not about the moment of trauma but about the life after yes i remember you once told me that the the lesser bohemians is about being a survivor absolutely i mean i think you know girl is is very much about being in that moment and going through that experience with her whereas this is about about the life that continues we've talked a little bit about your use of language um, and it's it's the thing that the critics seem to want to talk about the most. I just wondered, you, well you, you roll your eyes at that stage. <laughs> well that's, that's interesting because I guess 
one of the things I'm intrigued about is the extent to which you feel language is a vehicle for your ends or whether it is all language and it is all about language and I just wondered whether you sort of had anything to say about that. Well I think I mean language is obviously very important to me and very interesting to me but it's certainly not the be all and the end all of the novel even less so with The Lesser Bohemians than with Girl I think Um, because Girl was very much led by the language and then the plot following that, and then they both sort of worked in a circle together. Uh, whereas The Lesser Bohemians was very much about content, about the story and about the characters, and I worked on it for a very long time, and it was really only in the last year that the language found itself. And so for me, language is about serving the story and about serving the content. It doesn't have any importance on its own. It must be attached to something. And when you say it only found itself in the in the last year or so. What what was going on before that? I mean, what was the kind of process um, well, to get there? I, you know, I wrote, it was originally a very, very big book. It was 800 pages long, and it took me a very long time to understand really what I was writing about, who I was writing about, and trying to be very specific about those stories, about those backgrounds, and then how, as a result of those backgrounds, they relate to each other. And the language just didn't, I could never seem to make it catch up with the excitement that I felt about the the story and the characters. And so really that was the slog of the last year. And it was only when I finally felt that the story was exactly where it should be, that the language then just took off. And so, and so who are the lesser bohemians and why are they lesser? Well, I suppose because, you know, the book is set very specifically in 94, 95 in London, in Camden. Uh, You know, obviously at that time, there was a lot of very, you know, sort of trendy things going on. And and I didn't really want to write about those people and sort of the glamorous and the famous. What I wanted to write about were people who, who work in artistic professions and live in bedsits, don't have their pictures on the front of the paper and but live these lives that are you know about struggle and trying to create something of value and of meaning and aren't necessarily being celebrated from one end of the country to the next you know that was really about that sort of lower tier of of the creative professions and I wanted to write about those people and that time and and so they seem lesser to me than the than the greater and the glamorous <laughs> and yes yeah, so you're so the the love in so you have your your female narrator who's mm-hmm. who's sort of in her late teens and yeah. she's kind of just about starting out yeah but her love interest I mean he's sort of semi-successful isn't he he's but quite successful and he's but he's theatre successful I suppose so he's very well known and well respected in the theatre a little known from movies but not really but you know he also has this sort of strange other side that although he is quite successful and plays leads in the West End and he lives in this tiny bedsit and has done for years and I was just interested in that, in that life. There's a great deal of sex in your novel. We were, we there were is. just talking about this earlier as well before you came into the studio. And um, I just wondered if we could talk about that, the sort of the centrality of, of sex to it. I mean, the British are famously relatively prudish about sex, both both in in their lives and fiction, apparently. And we even have a, a bad sex and fiction award, which I think is often sort of ludicrously misnamed because it doesn't tend to be about bad sex writing it tends to be about any sex writing um no and no doubt someone will try to nominate this book for that as well for for that reason alone and i just wondered whether how important 
it is to you to write well about sex. I mean, it's a fundamental aspect of human experience. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's not a subject I would have picked for myself, you know, because I think being Irish, I'm even more reticent on this subject than most English people are. Um, I am shocked by your outrageousness, frankly, most of the time. But it is something that apparently, as a writer, I'm very interested in. I suppose, particularly with these characters, it was about trying to write about sex as a form of communication. And that's really what it is, and that's why there's so much of it, because it's always about the way they, they speak to each other, because there's so many ways, there's so many things they cannot speak about. They cannot use words to speak about. So it becomes a symbol as well. Yeah, and it, but it's also it's how they come to know each other and and how they make a bond with each other. It's a way that they can feel connected to each other. And, you know, it starts out as being she wants to lose her virginity and he fancies a shag. And it becomes something else over time. And they, they both have dark pasts. You know, there's a kind of, there's a history yeah. of abuse to both of them. So is, is, to a certain extent, is their burgeoning sexual relationship a kind of way of disposing of their pasts as well? You know, the body has a different life. Uh, the body has a separate life to the life of the mind. And it is the way they, they cope with who they are, with the ways that they've behaved that they're not proud of or with things that have happened to them. And it just seemed to me that there's not a lot of writing about sex which bothers to make the connection between the physical life and the internal life. And that was really the most important for me with this because without it that's when it becomes very bad sex writing that's when it becomes pornography when it's just a sort of description of bits of bodies doing things rather than what's happening inside those people at that moment as well and so I suppose it was about trying to make those things work in a very specific way for these two very particular people with their own you know baggages yeah and and I think I mean it's I think it's remarkable that you've I think it's something you do extremely successfully and you've managed to write a 300 page novel which is absolutely filled with sex which doesn't feel in any way pornographic and is so particular to the two people yeah, at the center absolutely. of it and I think yeah that's completely how it escapes that I just also wanted to ask you a little bit about the genesis of the novel. So I know you've been writing it for quite a long time. Yes. Could you just talk a little bit about sort of how it how it evolved and when you started and how you managed to get to the end point? Yeah, well, I after I wrote A Girl as a Half-Form Thing, I didn't write for three years. And then um, I moved back to Ireland. My husband got a job in Ireland and we moved back there and I hadn't particularly wanted to. I thought I would stay in London. And so I suppose it began really with me thinking about London and missing it, really feeling very homesick for it and thinking about the London that I knew when I had first arrived in the 90s, what that was like and really going from there, I suppose. And I certainly didn't want to write about drama school because I just thought it sounded so terrible and how could you write seriously about something like that? So then, of course, that became the thing I had to write about because I didn't know how to. And I just gradually became absorbed. But the first, I would say the very first draft, which took me a year, was it was a completely different book. I mean, completely, almost unrecognisable from what, what the end version is. In some ways, I feel still working out some of a girl as a half-formed thing, that that character was quite similar, which made a lot of other things impossible, which certainly made a relationship impossible. So you needed to get rid of that so character. So I really needed to just get the last of her out and then uh, the protagonist in The Last of Bohemians is an 18 year old girl she is a very very different girl 
you know, quite different things happen as a result of that and can happen because she's someone who is much more open, filled with enthusiasm, who is much less sort of condemned by her history to a sort of inevitable decline. Great. Well, thank you very much for talking to me, Ema. Um, the Less Bohemians is out uh, on, is it September the 5th? Early September. Early September. Early next month. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to end by asking you to read a brief extract from The Lesser Bohemians. And the context to this extract is that uh, the young narrator is on her way to the theatre and she's about to bump into the man who she lost her virginity to a couple of weeks previously. River run running to a northern sea, Thames, needle skin brisk and the eyefuls of concrete, led by the strip for the National Theatre. Go on, get a ticket, go in. Hear the vault, and not Hawkeswell. Smacks of the hellless, or or at least of the sensible. I'd be what I'd be. Is this the Olivier? Yeah, on upstairs for you. Through and oh to its canyon. I never saw so many chairs. On beyond uncurtained stage. You may take and have me, please. But Saturday matinee, soul in my row. Where's everyone else? In the dark come spiders out of art, and first I'm sleuthed away, measuring up the vying worlds, meandering into the emphasised words, but under neat speeches are oceanous platitudes, and so I slide and slide. Up, don't sleep, don't, you do not. Settle my head back on my neck, but the veining of boring expands and contracts until I'm left to myself. And soon I'm judging a hooped toupee, then predicting a spit trajectory, right down, I'd say, to that redhead asleep. Too far from here, though. Over there would be... Over there... Is it? With black specks on? Really? Such a dead search knit. And for London. Him. Of course it is. And the air makes whistles and my brain makes hay. Guts to gorge. Look at him. Be sure. It is... Oh, God. But if I sit still, live for the stage, focus on the actors and glorious fake and look again, is he looking at me? Read at the programme. Then he definitely isn't. Then it's the interval. Look again. He gets up, pray for poise. More as he excuses himself across, yet more at my aisle. Please poise at my step. Hello. I thought it was you, he says. And I remember... And I remember and make some word like, hi, enjoying it. Yes, I, really, he says. I thought I saw you nodding off. I wasn't. It's just my first, I mean, you know, I was just looking around. He solemn nods, but somewhere smiles. So how have you been? I scold cheek. Fine. And you? Fine, he says, coming out for a smoke and unlit in his fingers. No, I... No, thanks. And go at reading biogs like war and peace. He loiters further, but I am shame-sealed. Well, I'll leave you to it, he says. Nice to see you again. You too, I say, and don't look up. Do not watch him climb the steps, nor think at all, why were you so rude? Only, bladder, why have you forsaken me now? Just wait till he's gone, then go. Right. Stick on that nonchalant smile, don't buy an ice cream like a child, and get what urbane I possess into line as I go back in. But at the bottom of the steps he's all chat to some girl, close and smiling, she giving laughs, him too, or thoughtful, pushing his hair back. 
gets kissed on the mouth too at the bell and offered permutations of see you soon then before he heads back to his row. And so what of it? What do I care? I am here for the art. And the dark swims over and the play winds on. In twenty minutes he's up again, maybe leaving. Should I wave? No. Oh, here. He crosses aisles instead and comes up to my row, then drops in the seat beside. You pissed off with me, he asks, leaning his long self in. No, why would I be? Dunno, that's why I'm asking. Well, I'm not. And glare at the stage. I had a good time the other night, he says. I know it got a bit weird at the end, but don't, I say. Just don't. All right with his eyes wandering down my face. So let's go. What? Let's go. This show is shit and it's not going to improve. It isn't. It is, you liar, he says. Come on. Then gets up and leaves. And I, for only trouble, it seems, get up and go as well. On the stairs down, he says, the designer's a mate, so I have to say a quick hello backstage, but I won't be long. Won't he be offended you left? No, I made the effort. Besides, he said it was bad bang out, sky gone to winter but still fanfares of sun I'll just have a look at the books while you're gone, don't wander off he says, I shrug, no I'll be five minutes, that's all, I mean it don't go home but I turn on my heel, into the book stalls and the so many books what is he after, what am I up to, I think it's called adventuring so shuffle on in with the shufflers then lose myself in spines and tick on the moment he reappears where I pretend not to see. His friend, as tall as, not as thin, dark-skinned, older, earnestly discussing the pair of them, his fingers negotiating something imaginary, but stops with a loud, yeah, anyway. Then he looks up for me into the end of the sun. Pick me. There she is, over there. So, till next weekend. There's a form of an arms round and his friend laugh calls to me. Watch yourself with this one. Sheep in wolves clothing, my dear. Terrible English, he shouts, walking backwards from him. After all these years, you should be ashamed. Then turning around warns, ignore him, with the concrete having under his feet. Anything good, he asks. Lots, I say. So, what do you want to do? What? You're the one wanted to leave. What do you want to do? He hums at the river. Casts about. Okay. Ever walked across the Hungerford Bridge to Embankment? Not yet. Then I'll show you my favourite view of London, he says, as we go into the weeding dark. Where's your friend from? Algeria and France. Do you know him from work? That, and he was with my oldest friend. Not anymore. No, he died. What happened? Cancer, he lights up. Pancreas. Like my father. Really? When was that? He died when I was eight. Horrible thing to see, he says, and I nod because it is. Up to the walkway under hulkish sky, breeze licked and nerves cracking fissures inside as he points out, Big Ben, Parliament there. Look through the grating. At halfway, he says, here's London spread out for you. In the murk cold, Thames still curling away, lights just beginning across the city. All the stone world of it, its stone face, showing its towers and flanks and shapes, purplish in this light and grey. And I stand, strick by its great space, watching the boats till St Paul's there, he says, the Oxo Tower, Barbican, 
pointing out places I cannot see, then can, because he stands behind. Look along my arm. No, there. No, there. Do you see? When I still don't, he bends to see it how I see, and I see all of it then. This is the most beautiful view I've ever seen, I say. Really? Better than Naples, with those boats stretched out across the bay. Ah, fuck. He remembers my lies. Sorry. Those are all lies, I say. I've never been there, or anywhere else. His elbow on the rail. Well, you're a surprise. What did you make all that up for? I don't know. To be interesting, I suppose. How very calculating, he laughs. And I thought you believed in love. I do, but love isn't what that was. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. True, he says. But what if I'd been a lonely soul looking for it? Are you? No, I'm not. And you're not much of a liar, I guessed. This I concede. I've never been. Oh well, that means you're probably quite good at the acting. I quick look up to see if he's joking. He's only watching, though. And in a moment says, So, you just used me for your sexual gratification, then? Well, I say, it didn't turn out to be that gratifying, so perhaps I got what I deserved. Didn't you get what you wanted? Didn't you? I say. Sort of. It started out well enough, but you were hurting me, I whisper. You were a virgin, he whispers back. I'm not responsible for the laws of nature. I know that, but I thought at least I wouldn't have to see you again. Ah, well, you shouldn't have shagged an actor then. But by now he is laughing, and I almost am, over my chasing brain. So throw my breath to the Thames and the strange of the day as we strangers stand looking out on the city. Quiet then, but for its sound, that noise it must make for its life to go round. Slow aftershave smell of some passing man, loud of the train as it clanks behind, me watching the river, him watching me. What? I ask. You know well what, he says, 
and stoops and kisses me. Fresh inclination and the blood goes up, bends me like a body, puts inside into my mouth, and we, deep and open, where is no mistake, where are only runs of thoughts of next, of kissing him in the short past, naked, and he stops. I stumble forward in perfect dazed unfurl, his breath on my hot cheek, then kissing me further, and I might fall over, but he has my arm, and we kiss like he drags me live from under the Thames, and where was all this want when I needed it? I don't care, I don't, and I could do enough, he says. This is getting ridiculous now. Do you fancy getting something to eat? There now legs, but disgraceful knees. All his impulses working inside out too, it seems. For even as I nod, see him almost go again for me. And I am all for that. But he turns instead, wiping his mouth on his hand, leaving me tapping the prickle of mine to trail him over the bridge. We walk up the embankment by Charing Cross. Oh God, please take my hand. But deaf to petition, he on the strand asks, Do you like Chinese? I do, but... But what? I've no money. You're a student, he laughs. Don't worry, dinner's on me. By St Martin in the fields, I'm lagging his gait. Could you slow down? I can't walk as quick. Sorry, he says sometimes, I forget. How's this? Better, and is. Soon walking gives bats lunged to staring at the roadload of bookshops and that. God, there's so many I could live on this street. Up twitch of his mouth. Are you laughing at me? No, I wouldn't dare. I'm just enjoying the wonder, he says. When I, oh, Les Mis, though he tilts his head, musicals. Really? It's not that, I say. It's the being here. Thank fuck for that, he says. Chinatown's this way. And the smell comes out to get me as I follow into Gerard Street. Look at the ducks in the window. Look. Do you like duck then? I've never eaten it. OK, well, go on in there to Harbour City and let's try to rectify that. He picks a table by the window so I can see out. Beer or wine? What goes with Chinese food? I wasn't allowed to drink at home. Jesus, are you really only 18? I am, I say. How old are you? Um, he swallows. Older than that, I'm actually 38. Twice as old as me. And then some, he says, fuck. So a beer, I think, and quick. You're feeling like a dirty old man now. A bit, actually. Quite a lot, yeah, thanks. Still, he eats prawn crackers and smokes in chains, twisting quotes from my first term play. Hell hath no limits, nor is circumscribed in one self place. For where we are is hell, and where hell is, there must we ever be. Cheery, it's you. Have you done it? Not yet but I live in hope. I have a few more years before I'm too old. What did you do last? Tis pity. Where was that on? Here, in the West End. Did it go well? think so, he says. But can I ask you about something else? If your father died when you were eight, how well do you remember him? Pretty well. Better than people expect. Are your parents alive? My father is much married and living in Bradford. Is that where you're from? No, Sheffield. And your mother? Dead. A long time dead. How long? Dunno. I was in my early twenties. I'm sorry. I'm not. Do you want another drink? All right, I say. Thanks. And the food goes over and I watch him eat, liking long fingers manoeuvring chopsticks, thinking, God, I fancy him something wicked. 
What? He asks. Nothing, I say. Once he's paid, we go to the street. Salt dark now, but hot with seething. Tube, he asks. Or a bit more walking. I could walk a bit. So he's off, and I'm after, Charing Cross Road, on at me, saying, My friend's boyfriend knows you. All right, does he? What's his name? No, I mean, from the stage. Small pool, he shrugs. So are you famous? Well, am I famous to you? No, I say. Then there you go. Let's make a stop in foils. Upstairs in second hand, he finds it. I knew I'd seen it here. I'm going to get this for you. What is it? I ask. Book about Marlowe. You'll like it. It'll help with your play. You shouldn't, I fluster. Anyway, isn't there some weird paying thing? Yeah. Soviet 3Q system. I'll be right back. So I follow him with the track of my eye, cheek to the shelf, and tired by the weight of all I don't know. You all right? He asks, handing it over. I... Thanks. Go to kiss his cheek. But there it is, in the turning dust. Oh no, he warns. No kissing and foils. Maybe though, just... Because I am already close, he kisses me anyway. And more, until, Excuse me, we're closing up. I, Anthony Burgess, over my mouth. He offers the intruder a grave. Of course. Me, a significant eyebrow and... All right, jailbait, let's go. Quick down the stairwell, together and out. Cross between traffic on Oxford Street, past the Virgin Megastore, up Tottenham Court Road, past sex shops, electric shops. Let's cut down. So Torrington Place then, across Gower Street... I went there, he points back. Posh? Not really. Scholarship. Nips into Dillon's for a new time out, over Mallet Street, Bing Place, Gordon Square, out by Welcome Building to the Euston Road, and we go across it, glittering, in buses, cabs and the race of things, night upon us, and I must quick to keep with his long legs. As he lights up on Eversholt Street, I ask, will you tell me what your script's about? It's about someone falling off a roof. Is it based on you? Ah, he says, you remember that. Is it? A little. How come you did? The usual. A problem of balance and drugs. So, because you were high? No, because I usually was. And things got a little out of hand when I stopped. When was that? I ask. Oh, years ago. Probably when you were two. Do you miss them? The drugs? I nod. Sometimes, but not enough. Royal Mail Depot, to go back. And won't you miss acting while you're writing? He says, I might. Acting's been a lot of my life, but it's time now for something else. Walk quieter then, quick took looks at him, tall and straight, proverbial thin, his face showing different in the light and dark. What? he asks. Nothing. I shrug as the drunks go fight up Oakley Square. By Mornington Crescent, legs wore from where, I ask, can we get the tube? Sorry, eternally closed for repairs. The palace pumps to our right, though, won't get going till late. Oh, we're in Camden, I see. High road spilling up for the night. So weave we through serious clouds of spliff. If you're tired, we could stop at the Liberties for a drink. I'm all right, I say, divining junctions ahead and the hope in me wanting him to be explicit. He, oblivious, only moves us through. So by the world's end, I stop. In here... He says, it'll be a meat market tonight. No, I point at the Kentish Town Road sign. Oh, right, you going home? Guess me, guess me with your grey eyes. Shame, he says. I was hoping you'd want another go on me tonight. 
there it is, on a plate, and he only giving smallest smile. I suppose I do owe you for dinner, I say. You don't really think that, do you? And what if I did? If you were that stupid, I'd make sure I got my money's worth, he laughs. I don't owe you for dinner. I know, he says. Come back anyway. No, this one, he grabs me as I go the wrong gate. Careful on the stairs too, still no light. Here again for what new night? Were you expecting to bring someone back? Why do you say that? It's all tidy. I tidy sometimes, he says. Yeah, but there are also clean sheets on your bed. I get a look, but continue anyway. So, if we hadn't met, would you have gone to the world's end tonight? Might have done, he says. Pass me your coat. As I pass it to him, if you think it's a meat market, isn't that a bit grim? Well, not liking it and not doing it are two different things, aren't they, Nancy Drew? And he kneels at the fire, letting the air go thin. I scrabble back. What are the boxes for? Keeping my stuff in. I never noticed them last time. Well, you are somewhat preoccupied, he says, with what you want to achieve. Quiet, bite. How wrong's my foot? So, he leans back on his desk. What now? Sorry, how do you mean? Well, we're both here for sex, aren't we? I just thought, given your insightfulness, maybe you'd like to get things going this time. And his eyes say nothing, so I die inside. Don't make me make the first move. Why? Would that be unkind? I mumble. I think it would. So, you see, he says, surveying his shoes, I also have insight and, if I wanted, could be unkind as well. Sorry, I... It was a stupid thing to say. No, it was a clever thing to see, but... I don't need to be caught out. So what exactly would you like to know? Nothing. Really? Nothing. Adversaries, it seems. But I don't look away, and he is the first to smile. Well, in that case, he says, I think we should get back to the kissing now. From which on to mischief. By the time of the bra, he's joking, still coping without the duvet. And wrangling the waves of myself rolling through, I let him cramp up the small space between. Good that the smell of his body is not new. Helps he remembers small watts of mine also, like, God, those freckly shoulders again, or laughing, your tights are the bane of mankind. Kissing to strip off, to lick off my palm, then sliding it, sliding it down. God, I got. Do you mind, he says. No, but I don't want to make a mistake. You won't. Just do whatever you want. If I don't like it, I'll say. So, unpacked maid, fall in with his mouth. But what is it he wouldn't allow? And I let him do all sorts now, modesty flying everywhere. It's only him backing me back to the bed, suffering. Fuck, you do that well. That recatches me old sight of myself and opens the anxious eye. Wrestle. Be easy with this stuff, said... Not as if it never has. But this is not that. Here with him. He kisses like he means it. Like he's with some person who can be liked and kissed. Who is not bits of body, floating parts, there for a finger in the mouth or what. You know what things. In the atom, though, his fancying must be a lie. And I go so far from my body now. Left from his skin to the switching off. Turn it down. Turn it. Stop. I stop, please, stop, and bolt my arms across until the air goes lock. 
Why, he says. No reason, just stop. He stands back. Whatever you want. But his eyes stay right on mine. Shy again, I shake my head. Something I did? No. Something I said? But rather in chaos than answering questions, I panic. Stop talking, shut up. He drops his eyes. Okay, let's not have this again. This is when it stopped being fun last time, remember? And I see he is now calm, annoyed, showing only to the carpet, but I am, oh God, filled with remorse. I'm sorry, I say. I don't know what's wrong. He, as though I'm lying, shrugs. Never mind, some other time, stooping down for his shirt. Don't do that, I say. No. Why not? There and has me on the spot. Decide, decide on him. So turn I braille eights on his long hand, prize the shirt from him, tug and down. Please don't put your clothes back on. I won't if you won't, he says. I won't. Promise me that. Why? Because, he laughs, I nearly had to take you back to the gents at the festival hall before. Really? Really. And as for foils, well. But then, then he, and he makes it so easy for me. I'm glad he wants to still. Elbows and laugh, stumble bed again. His body, it seems, liking everything, while mine still doesn't know what's going on, but tries so hard to please. Catch it watching him follow the pleasure, though. Then where he expects starts finding its own. That's it, he says, and farther goes than I would think to give. Straight to man-handled knickers and every inch he can. Can I go down on you? No! Little baby Jesus won't mind. Oh my God, no! That's a shame. How about... Ah, oh, you like that then. Likes it himself when I yes and gets close now, so close with him. All the clicks and licks and by the time he says, do you want to fuck me? Yeah, I say, I do. Best day night life. I am all for this. Him getting in a condom like one-handed trick and wanting to, wanting it. Free for the fucking till he puts it in and fuck, that hurts. Fuck it. Why again? No, I refuse that. You all right? He says. I counterfeit fine while silent, abjuring whatever part of my body hasn't yet learned how. And instead breathe the pain across his back to spare him more of my trouble enough. So do you owe him, after all? Just take it, fake you, you can. Replay, revive, Betty Blue for sounds, for how they went at it, he I am, but, but, deuce myself undone. Are you faking? No. Is that a lie? A little bit. He leans up. Why? It's still hurting me. Fuck's sake. You should have just said, him getting straight from me, then the bed. Where are you going? To sit in this chair so we can try something else. Like what? Get on me and find out. No, my God, I'm too fat. What? No, you're fucking not. Get over here. Do then, covering myself up, ribs enfolded, pubic skimped, him yanking me onto and in between kissing, saying, now, you put me in and let's find out what works. He tries to but can't quite disinterest himself. Just as well, though, for my mule body won't, inciting itself only at his obliging my hips. Bit harder, he wonders. I, I, but the mouth on my breasts then, tickle and strange delight of being seen, surprises me, if not to everything, to something, like first foot in bagel towards what this could be, 
with the look in his eye, with his body in me, going and going and harder until, oh, fuck, he says, hold still. I'm way too close. Any chance you are? Not this time, no. Can I help you? And his hand sliding down. No, I like it, but I won't tonight. I want you to, though. Just as well, he says, body going tight, going barely, barely, can't bear to shift. Go on, I say. Then his legs go and lights he, pain turning white inside me. But even in this moment, even as he takes, he is the one getting killed. That was really fucking good, he says, still kissing, and not like on the afters of sex. You're so warm inside. Is that weird? No, it feels great. His blood slowing under my hand. Sorry it was all interrupted in that. Don't worry, it's good not to be a lazy bastard. What does that mean? But he asks instead, How did you find it this time? Much better, the second way. Well, that's a start. I say, I think that's a lot. He hums, unconvinced. But does that count as my second or third time having sex? Second? Why do you ask? Because we did it two ways. No, that's still second, he says. Unless there's been someone else since. There hasn't been. Has there for you? Don't think so, he says. Ow, I... Ow, my leg's gone to sleep. Hang on, let me get hold of that condom first or all the good work is for now. Slide off him, pins and hop and... Don't look! Be late for that, he laughs, standing up. Right, I'm off for a piss. Bin goes the condom, swats my arse on the pass, all naked, unbothered, getting into his bathrobe. And how I envy him that, the looks and not giving a shit. Silent in his room. Cigarette. Sit or shift. I halfly dress. Stay or leave. What do men expect? What would I like? To know exactly what he considers to be the right what now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.